Amen. Before you see, would you please take a moment and greet those around you. Welcome them this morning in the name of the Lord. Amen. At this time, also our seedlings, that's kindergarten through grade five, you're dismissed to the back. Uh, Scarlett is back there, and uh, she's going to be your teacher this morning. And uh, if you haven't signed your child in, please just walk with them to the back, and you can sign them in. This is kindergarten through fifth grade, so make sure that they're signed in as uh, we're finishing up the greeting time here. Also, uh, many of you know, some of you may not know, uh, we don't have a dedicated nursery here at this location, but we do have a family area in the back. So if you find that your younger ones, younger than kindergarten, are getting restless, you can always take them back there and, and stay with them and color and listen to the service uh, from the couch or the chairs in the back. That is for you as well. Hello. Anything I need to do? All right, good. Um, Yes, and uh, we also want to welcome those of you who are guests today. If this is one of your first times here, we welcome you. Thank you for coming. If you would stop by our welcome table and uh, fill out a connect card, we would love to be able to connect with you as well. So we got a lot of things uh, going on in this holiday season. I want to tell you about several of them. So first of all, I'm going to follow the slides here. So go ahead, hit the slide. Let me see what's next. Oh, next Sunday, we got a lot of cool things going on. First of all, right after church or morning worship celebration, we're going to have a community meal. That's for you, too, because you're part of the community. And so we want you to stick around next Sunday, and we're going to have a meal. We're putting out these flyers, letting people know that it's open to the community, anyone that needs to come. Um, I was downtown Hartford yesterday handing out some flyers, letting people know about it. And then at 1 o'clock, we're going to do our Toys for Tots giveaway. So there's a lot going on here next week. And we're putting this word out to the community. Um, we're putting the word out through the elementary school, Naylor, that we're partnered with. Uh, so we hope to see a lot of people here next week, which means we need a lot of help. So if you could help uh, with the setup of the toys or the takedown, the cleanup afterwards, or if you want to help out, you know, during the meal time, there will be a sign-up sheet in the back as you leave church today. You can see Jen Smith or whoever has that sign-up sheet, and you can sign up to help next week. It would be great to know how many volunteers we have. So the idea is that when church gets done, we'll have some tables in the back like we did a couple weeks ago, and we'll set chairs around them and have our meal. And then during the meal, we'll be setting up some tables up here with the toys on them to give away to the kids. So we can really use everybody's help. And even um, if, if, if you can just stay and greet people, it would be an awesome time to get to know new people, to welcome them, to let them see what Hartford City Church is all about, right? Let them see the love. Let them see the smiles. Let them see what a great community we have. We also have more flyers. So especially if you live in Hartford, especially if you live in Hartford, would you take a stack of those flyers and just pass them out around where you live? If you would take 10 to 15 of those at least, that would be awesome. So we're going to try to make sure everybody that lives in Hartford, and I see several of you here this morning, that each of you take a stack of those flyers and just where you live or where you are, just hand them out to some people so that they know. There's a lot going on, you know, but we wanted to jump into that and offer a meal and toys to give away as well. All right, so let's go to the next announcement. And that is that, oh, the youth group is doing this really, really cool thing. I saw it on, on Instagram, you know, because I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Snapchat because my daughter won't let me be on Snapchat, but that's another story. Anyhow, I saw that the youth group is challenging everyone to read the book of Luke 
during the month of December. And this is so cool. I never saw this before. There's 24 chapters in Luke, right? So if you read a chapter each day, December 1st to the 24th, by Christmas Eve, you'll have read the story of Jesus, the one that we're celebrating on Christmas morning. You'll have the whole story. And I think that that's really, really cool. So I'm challenging the church to do that. I'm going to do it. I've started reading a chapter a day. So I'm going to challenge you guys to read a chapter of Luke a day. Uh, if it's the 8th, today's the 8th, right? Then read the 8th chapter of Luke. Um, you guys can, it's not that hard to catch up if you haven't started yet. And I'm just challenging us all to do that. Speaking of the youth, the next one. Um, we have some exciting things coming up. Winterfest is a high school winter camp for uh, kids in our conference that we're a part of. And uh, we're sending a group this year. So if you're interested in signing up for Winterfest, um, I want you to actually come and talk to me today. And I'll get you connected with the right information. Uh, but we're also able to offer scholarships for everybody that's going. So if you are a youth that wants to go to Winterfest, if you want to be a part of this, let me tell you guys. Some of you high school kids, listen to me, this is really cool. It's awesome. Um, they usually have a big worship band. There's four to 500 kids. Uh, there's a speaker, um, this young guy from New York, from Brooklyn, from this awesome church in Brooklyn. He's going to be the speaker. There's going to be seminars. Uh, there's like, uh, it, it's, it's up in the mountains, in the snow, by a lake. It's just really, really awesome. So if any of you want to go, I know we have a few already interested in going uh, from our church and some of our leaders are going to go. So if you need information about that, let me know. All right, let's go to the next. Uh, that's going to be the first weekend of January. Can't really see that on there. Um, this is a picture from Honduras. We're also planning uh, our next missionary ministry trip to Honduras in March. And it will be March 13th through the 20th. So if you have any interest or want to find out more about the Honduras ministry trip, um, we don't have a lot of time, but we have a little time to uh, get things together and take a group down there. Uh, we don't bring large groups. It's usually a group of 10 to 15 people. So, you know, at this point, we're not able to accommodate much more than that. But I wanted to put it out there because maybe there's one or two people that would be interested in going to Honduras with us in March. And if you want more information, I can give you that information after the service, okay? And let's see if there's any more announcements. Oh, that we are embarking on a series that Pastor Rosalie started for us last week. So I just want to give it up for Pastor Rosalie and the awesome message that she gave last week. I heard it on Periscope, and it's going to be centered on hope, how we, uh, you know, Christmas is a time for us to think about and remember that Jesus is the hope of the world. So at e end of each row are these cards that say hope, and on the back is everything we're doing for the next three weeks. Would you please take several of these and use this time to invite your friends? I believe that God is calling us to that. I believe that God called us to be here. But because you're sitting here, there's at least one person, if not two or five, that God has put in your life. And I think God wants us to invite people, um, and especially people who don't go to church. You know, if people go to church, that's great, wonderful, we're happy for that. But one of the reasons we started was most people that live in Hartford and most people that live in Connecticut, about 80% of them don't go to church at all. So that means eight out of ten people that you know or work with probably don't go to church or don't have any place to call home. So we're really trying to reach out and let people know that there's a home, there's a place for them. There's a place where they can be welcomed, where they can experience God's presence, and where they can grow in God. And hopefully that's your experience. You know, we, 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 we can't, you know, promote or invite to what we don't experience. So as what you're experiencing and God's working in your life, then would you take some of these flyers and would you use this month as an opportunity when people are thinking about, you know, church and Jesus, the baby Jesus, right? Christmas is a time when people might be more open to coming. So please, there's more of these on the welcome table as well. And, uh, you know, please take as many as God lays on your heart uh, to hand out um, this week. So 
Um, today I'm going to talk about the hope of Jesus Christ, that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I'm really excited to share this message with you today. So let's take a moment, though, and pray together, and let's uh, set our hearts before God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this place. We thank you that as we've gathered in your name, your power and your presence is released in this place, God. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to worship together, to learn together, to grow together, and to live together in love, God. And I pray that all of those things would be true and increase in abundance for our community of faith here at Hartford City Church. God, I ask now that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the word that you have for us today, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that today, today for those that you've appointed would be a life-changing and life-transforming day. Lord, we lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the holidays, right? The holiday season is upon us. Um, I think it began right after Halloween this year. I'm not sure. That's when I started seeing Christmas things out. But we're thinking about Christmas. Of course, there's other holidays that we celebrate as well, right? And one of those holidays is Hanukkah that the Jewish people celebrate. And we have a connection, you know, with the Jewish people. I don't know if you know that or not. But Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was Jewish. So he participated in and celebrated the Jewish holidays. And Hanukkah is not a holiday that I knew much about growing up. And I know that kids today probably learn about all the different holidays in school and whatnot. Uh, but I know one thing that, that consumes parents, if you have kids or if you've had kids, is that you start thinking about the gifts, right? And what you're going to get the kids. And if you're like me, you start thinking about, okay, how do I put aside the money for what the kids want? And as your kids get older, sometimes they just want money. But when they're younger, sometimes they still want certain things, right? And I always, you know, being a creative person, I'm thinking about the unique gift, you know, the unusual gift, the thing that would really be different. So when my oldest son, David, who now lives in Tennessee, was about 12 years old, and I hope he's not listening on Periscope, but if he is, he'll be like, Dad, you're telling this story again. <laughs> yes, David, I am. But he was about 12 years old. He wanted to get a pet hermit crab. I don't know if anybody have a pet hermit crab. Anybody have that? All right. So that, that, that was kind of cool. I'm like, well, that's cool. So we go to the pet store. We get the pet hermit crab. We get all the stuff for the hermit crab, right? And I'm thinking, you know, in, in our house, it's got to be an animal that's easy to take care of because, you know, that animal's not going to fare well if we have to pay a whole lot of attention to it. But I thought a hermit crab should be good. I didn't realize that hermit crabs are a pain to take care of. I don't know if anybody else knows that, but you got to have the right temperature. you got to have the right amount of food, the right amount of water. Apparently, hermit crabs are difficult to keep alive, as we were soon to find out. So David gets this hermit crab, and I said, what are you going to name your hermit crab? And he says, Hanukkah. I'm like, Hanukkah? Okay, Hanukkah the hermit crab. I'm like, okay, that's unique. So we bring Hanukkah the hermit crab home, and we try to set up everything. We try to watch and do everything. But I'm telling you, our experience it was difficult. I am sad to say that Hanukkah the hermit crab only lived for eight days, and then he died. <laughs> Which is interesting because Hanukkah is an eight-day celebration. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up, right? So Hanukkah lived only eight days. I'm not kidding. Like, well, that's kind of weird because Hanukkah is eight days long. So, uh, yeah, Hanukkah. But, but, the, but we found out that there, was a, there was a guarantee at the pet store that if your pet died in under two weeks, like, we must be really bad if we killed this crab in under two weeks. But if it died in under two weeks, you get another crab. You can, you can. So we took Hanukkah's body and the receipt back to the store, and we got another crab. We're like, okay, we're going to try again. This time we'll do better. We'll watch the temperatures. We'll watch the water. We'll make sure it has enough food. And we get the new hermit crab. And I said, David, what do you want to name the hermit crab this time? He said, this time I'm going to name it Christmas. I'm like, okay, Christmas. The hermit crab lasted 12 days. 
I can't make this up. The 12 days of Christmas, right? I can't make this up. The hermit crab only lasted 12 days and then Christmas died. And at that point, we were done. <laughs> and thinking back on it, I'm almost thinking we should have we should have got a third one and named it Easter because that would have been fun. Maybe it would have come back to life <laughs> three days after it died. I don't know. But after Hanukkah and Christmas, we were done. As I said, Jesus was Jewish, so Jesus participated in all of the Jewish festivals. And what I didn't know until recently is that Hanukkah was celebrated during the time of Jesus. In fact, there is... Um, a reference to Hanukkah in the Bible. How many of you knew there was a reference to Hanukkah in the New Testament? I didn't know that either. So we're going to look at that today because that celebration of Hanukkah and what Hanukkah is based on was the background for Jesus giving a very important teaching about who he was and his mission. So we're going to go to John chapter 10. You can follow along in your Bibles if you have them on your phone or tablet or the old-fashioned printed kind. John chapter 10, verse 22, and we're going to read that together. Beginning in verse 22 of John chapter 10, it says, Then came the feast of dedication, and that is the feast of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the Hebrew word for dedication. So it was at this time of Hanukkah in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him were saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Hallelujah. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, for I and the Father are one. Hanukkah. The Feast of Dedication, also known as the Festival of Lights, was a celebration to celebrate what God had done through uh, some people who, about 160 years before Jesus was born, um, led a revolt against the Greeks who were in charge of them at that time to rededicate the temple in Jerusalem to God. And here's the background story. Of course, some of you remember from history class, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great led a military campaign out of Greece where he conquered many of the area around the Mediterranean Sea. And one of those areas was Israel. And when, he, and when the Greeks conquered a place, they really wanted to destroy or put down everything about the culture of those people so that they could make everybody the same. It was called Hellenization, which meant they wanted to make everybody Greek. They wanted to Greekify the people, if you could put it that way. And so what they did is they'd come in and you would learn the Greek language. They even translated the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, into Greek during this time. And they would come in and they would bring their culture and their ideas, which included their religion and their gods. So in the temple in Jerusalem, they did some things that were really pretty pretty nasty and horrible. One of the things that they did is that they took pig's blood, you know, which was something that was unclean in, in the Jewish law. They were not allowed to eat pig's meat or to have anything to do with the blood of unclean animals. They took pig's blood and they spread it all over the temple to desecrate this. I mean, friends, it was like worse than coming in and spitting or pissing on somebody's very sacred, valuable things. It was awful to spread pig's blood all over the temple, right? And they came in and they put up the statues, idols, to their gods and their goddesses right in the temple, which literally 
they broke the first two commandments. I mean, literally number one and number two of God's laws were, you shall have no other gods before me, and don't make an image out of a god and worship that. So they're like, oh, you got a number one rule and a number two rule. We're going to break those. We're going to desecrate your temple. We're going to put you down. We're going to make you feel awful. And what happened was they would also set... There we go. And so what they would do is they would, they would get leaders who would, who would compromise, you know, who would, who would promote what their religion was. And, of course, that caused a divide among the Jewish people, right? Because there were those who felt like if you compromised your beliefs and your values, you were selling out to the Greeks. And there were others who said, no, we should resist that, and we should maintain our own worship and our own purity of worship. So what happened was there was an incident where, where, where they wanted to force one of the priests to eat pig's meat in front of everybody and thus deny his faith in God. And when he decided that he would compromise and do it, some of the other more zealous Jewish people got mad and they rose up against him and they killed him and a revolt broke out and war broke out. And it was led by uh, Mattathias, this priest, and then his son after he died named Judas. And, and the name that was given to them was the Maccabeus or the Maccabees. You may have heard of the Maccabean revolt. And Maccabeus is a word that simply means the hammer. So this revolt that eventually recaptured and cleansed the temple in Jerusalem was led by Judas the Hammer. Isn't that a great nickname, by the way? I mean, don't, if you're going to lead a revolt, don't you want someone whose nickname is the Hammer? In, in fact, it might literally mean the Sledgehammer, you know? kind of sounds like a wrestling name, doesn't it? Like the Rock or the Undertaker. But you've got Judas the Hammer, right? And I love that name, the Hammer. The Hammer comes, and they actually drive back the Greeks. They actually clean out the temple, and they recapture it, and they say, we're going to, we're going to cleanse and purify the temple, and we're going to come back and worship God. We don't care what you say. We're revolting against you, and they were successful. And Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, commemorates that time when Judas the Hammer and his boys fought against the Greeks and won and reclaimed the temple in Jerusalem and rededicated it to God. And the menorah that we see at Hanukkah it, it relates to the miracle of what happened. That, light, that candelabra was in the temple and was supposed to remain lit in the presence of the Lord, and they only had one day's worth of oil to light that candle. But it miraculously, one day's oil lasted for eight days, and that's why you'll see eight candles on the menorah with the knife in the middle, the servant candle used to light the others. And that is why it is celebrated for eight nights. So it was a time for the Jews to remember and to celebrate, even to this day, that they had reclaimed their dedication to God, that they had reclaimed that they were going to worship God in the way that God wanted them to worship. It's interesting that during this time, the Pharisees that we read about in the New Testament, that's when they came into prominence because the Pharisees were concerned about the purity and about dedicating the temple. And it was a time when they reflected on failed leadership, on the leadership that had failed them by compromising their values with the values of the empire, by acquiescing to the demands of the empire and thus denying even their own faith in God and doing things that were betraying God by making deals with the devil, in this case the Greek empire. And so they wanted leaders that would remain true to God's word, leaders that would remain true to what God intended. But as we know from the story, the Pharisees even found themselves as failed leaders because they 
took it too far and they put burdens on people and it became about themselves and they became as arrogant and as overbearing and as abusive as the leaders that they had once rebelled against had. Is it, is it you know, because it, things were so different back then, amen? <laughs> because we don't still do that today, do we not? You know, we complain about the leadership that's in place and then often when we get into those places of leadership, we become another version of that or we take things too far. It's very difficult to have true leadership. And it was during this feast of dedication, during this time in the winter, when Jesus was teaching on the porch of Solomon. They called it Solomon's Colonnade. And, and you'll see a picture of that in a minute. And Jesus was teaching there, and they would use the coverings in the wintertime to shield them from the elements. And people would come and teach. And it was time during this time of the feast of dedication, remembering Remembering that time when they got back to God, when they got back to the, to the temple and the way it was supposed to be, when they talked about the leaders that had failed them and they were wanting a true leader. And you see that that is the setting for the scene that Jesus is in the temple courts. He's walking along the colonnade and the Jews who were gathered there, they gathered around him. They circled around him. The word literally is the word used when an army encircles a city or a town. So they're, they're covering around Jesus like a group of vultures. <laughs> Their intent is clear that they don't like Jesus. They don't want Jesus continuing to teach the things that he is doing. They want to retain their power and their position, not even recognizing that they are the failed leaders themselves, that they are the ones who are damaging the sheep, the people of Israel, and not leading them as God wants them to be led. In fact, during this time, they would read from the prophet Ezekiel about how God said, my shepherds of Israel have failed the sheep. They have not taken care of them as they should. So I myself will come and take care of them. I will send one, my servant David, to be their true shepherd. And they were wondering. They said, how long, Jesus? How long will you keep us in suspense? And that word literally means annoy us. How long, Jesus, are you going to annoy us? How long are you going to irritate us? Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Now, Jesus' response is very interesting. He says, I have told you, but you weren't listening. I've showed you, but you do not believe. You see, all of the Jews were looking for the Messiah. The Messiah was the promised one who was going to come. The one that God said, I myself am going to come down and I'll send my servant David and you will finally have a true leader that leads you in righteousness and justice and healing and peace and in the way that you're supposed to live. So they were waiting for the Messiah, the one who would be descended from the line of David. Messiah means anointed one. In Greek it's the word the Christ. It means the one who is chosen, the chosen one, the one whose oil was poured on his head, the one who was to save them, to deliver them, to rescue them. And friends, the Jews were not looking for a Messiah that would save them personally. It was not about forgiveness of sins and going to heaven when they die. It was about literal get rid of the Greeks that have been controlling us. And only 20 years after Judas the Hammer, 20 years or so, the Roman Empire came. So the Greeks were, you know, sent away. And now Rome was in charge. And now they were under the Roman Empire. And so the Jews in their hope for the Messiah said, we've been under the authority and rule of foreign nations for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're waiting for the one, the chosen one to come. And to rescue us and to deliver us from our enemies, our literal enemies. The one who will come and be both our savior and our king. Tell us, Jesus. You're annoying us. We're sick of it. Tell us plainly, are you saying that you're the Messiah? 
You see how their question is raised? It's not one of honest inquiry. It's one of, if you're saying what you think you're saying, there's going to be some trouble, Jesus. Because we don't believe you. We want to keep our power. And Jesus said, I've told you. I've told you. But you don't listen. Because you're not my sheep. My sheep know my voice. They hear me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. And Jesus said, I've showed you. The miracles that I've done, the power that I've displayed has shown you that, yes, I am the Messiah. You see, this is the question that dominates the entire Gospel of John. This question of, is Jesus the one, is the main theme of the entire Gospel of John. John says in the beginning, in chapter 1, that when we saw Jesus, we saw the one, the one and only, full of grace and truth. He says in John chapter 3 that God sent the one, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and the woman at the well says, well, Jesus, we're waiting for the one. We're waiting for the Messiah, and when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, the one who's speaking to you, I am that one. I am the Messiah. And many times throughout, Jesus says, I am the one. I am the one that has come down from heaven. The disciples recognize it because they recognize the voice of their shepherd. They recognize the voice of Jesus. The disciples go to each other and say, look, we found the one. And then together in front of Jesus, Peter declares in John chapter 6, we have come to believe, Jesus, that you are the holy one of Israel. The hope, the hope of the world, the one is Jesus Christ. He said, not only that, I've confirmed it by the miracles that I've done. You remember Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, right? Six months older than Jesus. His cousin, also announced by an angel at the same time the angel came to Mary and announced Jesus' birth. And John the Baptist went out into the wilderness and he preached repentance and turning back to God. And people began to think, is he the one? And John said, I'm not the one, but the one is coming. And when he sees Jesus, he said, there's the one. He's the one. The one who's going to take away the sins of the world. But John was arrested and put into prison for speaking out against the king, speaking out against him and marrying his brother's wife, doing something, you know, that he wasn't supposed to do. And so he gets put in jail. And while he's in jail, he's suffering, you know, and, and he's alone. But Jesus is out free and he's eating and drinking and apparently having a great time. And John begins to get a little depressed. And he sends word to Jesus through his friends, ask him, are you the one or should we wait for somebody else? And Jesus looks at those friends, and this was his response. Go back and tell John what you see. The lame can walk again. The blind can see. The sick are healed. Everything that I'm doing shows you that I'm the one. So Jesus said, I've told you I'm the one, and I've showed you I'm the one. But do you believe? Do you believe? You see, friends, this is the question that each and every one of us must answer. Some say it's one of the most important questions, if not the most important question, that we will ever answer. Is Jesus the one? Is Jesus the Messiah? Is Jesus the Son of God? Is he our Savior and King? Is Jesus the one and only hope for the world? Hallelujah. And some of us have said, yes, we believe that Jesus is the one. But many are still wondering Many still have a doubt in their mind. They're not sure if Jesus 
is the one or not, right? Because Jesus was this man that lived a long time ago, and, and he did some really good things, right? But, but is he truly the one? Could he really be the Son of God? Could he really be the Messiah? Well, I want to read for you an excerpt from an interview. This is Bono, the lead singer of a group called U2. And he was interviewing a French journalist. And the subject turned to religion and to God. And I want you to hear his response because I think it sums up what, what, what the world is feeling and thinking about when it comes to Jesus. So the interviewer says, the son of God who takes away the sins of the world, really? I wish I could believe that. That's a great idea. There's no denying it. Such great hope is wonderful, even though it's close to lunacy in my view. Christ had his rank among the world's great thinkers, but son of God, isn't that far-fetched? And listen to Bono's response. No, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously an interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God in the flesh. And people say, no, no, please just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric. We had John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey. We can handle that. But don't mention the M word because you know we're going to have to crucify you. And he goes, no, no, I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from all of these creeps. But I actually am the Messiah. At this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and saying, oh, my God, he's going to keep saying this. So you're left with either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or he's a complete nutcase. And therein, right, if Jesus said, no, I am the Messiah, either he was who he said he was, or he's a complete nutcase. He says like a, like a nutcase on the highest level, like a lunatic. And the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, to me, that's far-fetched. And the choice remains for us today, friends. Is Jesus the one? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Do you believe that in Jesus Christ you can have life everlasting, never perish, and no one can take you out of God's hand? Do you believe that this morning? Because Jesus said it. And either it's true or he's a lunatic. You don't get to say Jesus was a good man, he was a nice teacher. No, no, Jesus doesn't let you say that. Because when someone says, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, they either are or they need mental help. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said that he was? And do you believe that Jesus proved who he was through the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he performed? Jesus is the one and only. Going back to John, the writer of the gospel, the writer of our text this morning, John says at the end of his book in John chapter 20, here's the reason I wrote all these things down. So that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So my simple question is this, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Your only hope in this world 
the one that can save you from your sins and everything else, the one that can give you eternal life, life that begins now and never ends. If you need to receive Jesus today, then I encourage you to do it. Receiving Jesus means saying, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the one. And I ask you to come into my life. And here's the important thing, friends. This is why we say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Because it's one thing to have Jesus save us from our sins. It's another thing to let him tell us what to do. Right? Oh, we're happy being healed and delivered, right? But we don't want to follow the authority of Jesus in our lives. Because we're still a people. Even though we want to believe this and we like certain parts of it, we're still a people that do what we want to do, right? I'm going to let you in on a little secret, all right? Don't tell any other pastors that I've shared our secret here this morning, okay? When we pastors get together and talk, here's what we say. We're like, no matter how much we preach, no matter what we say, people do what they want to do, <laughs> right? And we know it's true. Even as pastors, we do. I mean, that's who we are as people. We do what we want to do. It doesn't matter how great the teaching is. It doesn't matter how compelling it is. We could even have an experience of the power of the Holy Spirit here on Sunday. And I know, friends, that when you and I wake up tomorrow morning, we often do what we want to do, amen? We do. But Jesus said, no, no, it's much more than that. Jesus is our Lord, our King. He's the one who guides our life. Yeah, sometimes we're fine with Jesus, right, being our deliverer. But is he our Lord and our King as well? So when we receive Jesus, we're receiving him as our Lord and Savior, not just our Savior, but also our Lord, because that's who the Messiah is. The Messiah is the one who saves, and the Messiah is the one who guides and leads and directs our lives. So some of us need to receive Jesus Christ in both ways this morning. And, and maybe in your mind you've received him as your Savior, but have you received him as your Lord? Do you really give Jesus a say in the way that you live your life? Does God really have a part in the direction that you take in the decisions that you make, because I'm telling you, other leaders will fail us. <laughs> People as good as they are are going to fall short at some point. But Jesus, my friends, will never fail you. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never guide you down the wrong path. As much as we may not understand or as dark as it may seem, when you follow Jesus, he will guide you through everything in this life. Will you take a hold of Jesus today? And will you let him be your Lord and Savior? Let's pray together. As you just enter into a space of prayer, whether that's closing your eyes or praying with your eyes open, just in your mind and your thoughts, I just want you to, to search your heart for this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the one? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you said, Jesus, come into my life. Save me and heal me, but also lead me and guide me. And I just want to invite you, even if you've prayed that before, to just take a minute and slowly pray that this morning. Say, Lord, save me. Say, Lord, heal me. Say, Jesus, lead me. God, guide me. 
Spend some moments speaking with the Lord in your spirit this morning. there's someone here today that has received Jesus Christ into your life for the first time, it's a beautiful thing. God is going to come into your life and change it forever. If you need to, if you want to receive Jesus for the first time in your life, would you just raise your hand really quick so I can pray for you this morning, so I can just celebrate with you that God called you here to give your life to Christ. If you're good, if you gave your life to Christ, amen, we celebrate that to the Lord. Lord, I pray for each and every person here, God. I pray that as they believe you and receive you, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit to overflow. Lord, help us to not only trust in you, but to follow you. Lord, we receive your salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, the healing, and the deliverance. We receive it in Jesus' name this morning. And Lord, at the same time, we commit ourselves to follow you, to let you lead us and guide us from this day forward through the rest of our lives. And we make this commitment in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song together. Um, and as we sing this song, we're going to invite our seedlings, our children to come back in and to join you. Uh, starting this month, we are going to want, I uh, want to invite our children to come in when we celebrate communion together. So as we stand together and sing this song, the children from Seedlings, if someone could let them know, are going to be invited to come back in and uh, join us as well. <laughs>